0: Hey, how's it going out there, everybody? Welcome to the Drum Shuffle. Jamie Eads joining you as I do each and every week. This is episode 93. I hope you guys are surviving the global pandemic that we're all a part of now, whether we like it or not. Uh, I am back after a couple of weeks off uh, and man, how life has changed in those two weeks Uh, We are going to continue to bring you episodes as long as we have guests, Um, lots of folks out of work, lots of folks displaced right now. If there's something that we can do here at the Drum Shuffle to help, don't hesitate to reach out and let us know. We've got a great show for you today. I'm going to be joined by the great Walfredo Reyes Jr. in just a moment after this message from our sponsor Los Cabos Drumsticks. The best kept secret for drummers is finally out. Los Cabos Drumsticks may look like the sticks you grew up with, but these are not your father's drumsticks. Los Cabos Drumsticks is Canada's number one drumstick brand and they are coming to a retailer near you. With operations in over 28 countries worldwide, thousands of drummers have already discovered the Los Cabos difference. Using FSC certified wood from Canada and the US, Los Cabos make the finest quality drumsticks, percussion tools, and accessories on the market. The best news, Los Cabos Drumsticks offers you a ton of choice. They have 22 individual drumstick models and 14 percussion tools, many of which are available in three different wood types, maple, white hickory, and red hickory. Red hickory comes from the center, or heart, of the hickory tree and has been independently proven to be both stronger and more elastic than white hickory without adding a lot of weight. While most drumstick manufacturers have shunned red hickory, Los Cabos Drumsticks has embraced it, becoming the only established stick brand in the world to offer a full line of red hickory drumsticks. To learn more about Los Cabos Drumsticks, visit them online at loscabosdrumsticks.com Follow them on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. And don't forget to ask for Lost Cabos Drumsticks at your favorite retailer. Dare to be different. Join the Red Hickory Revolution with Lost Cabos Drumsticks. All right, guys and girls, uh, we have a great episode for you today. I had the great fortune of uh, having a great call with Walfredo Reyes Jr. Uh, the other day, uh, right as all this stuff was kind of breaking out, um, he was in Las Vegas doing a residency with Chicago, and we caught up on a day off, and they actually finished that residency in in Vegas, but their summer tour plans, spring and summer tour plans, are now on hold, as is the case with many musicians, um, and we didn't really get into that. Uh, however, it was right when you know this this coronavirus was really starting to shut things down, and we alluded to it maybe just a little bit. But you know, I, I want to thank Walfredo for taking time out of his busy schedule for coming on, and coming on the show. Uh, but guys, Wally is just salt of the earth, good dude. His resume is amazing. Not only is he the the drummer in Chicago now. But he has played in Santana, he has played with Steve Winwood, Traffic. It's literally a who's who of popular music. And not only is he a wonderful drummer, he's also a world-class percussionist as well. Uh, And I'm very proud to say that Wally is actually my neighbor here in Kentucky. So we were just thrilled to have him on the show. So please help me welcome to the Drum Shuffle, Walfredo Reyes Jr. Wally, good afternoon. How are you?
1: I'm spectacular. I love it. I'm on a day off here in Las Vegas, so it's a good day.
0: Absolutely. Well, hey, I appreciate you taking some time out of your busy schedule while you're doing kind of a a semi-residency with Chicago in Las Vegas, uh, taking some time in your day off to come talk to us on the drum shuffle. I really appreciate that, Wally.
1: Oh, thank you for having me.
0: Oh, absolutely. So, um, you know, I, I think any interview with you, I would be remiss if we didn't talk about your family because your father is arguably the most well-known Timbalero in the world next to Tito Puente probably. So tell us a little bit about, you know, obviously you were born in Cuba and you spent most of your early years in Puerto Rico, but what was it like having Walfredo Reyes Sr. as your father? I mean, could you even escape percussion if you wanted to? Uh,
1: No, and that's probably one of the reasons that when I wanted to become a musician, you know, I was not one of those guys that was banging on pots and pans uh, when when the music hit me of my time, you know, like the Beatles and the Rolling Stones and, you know, all the stuff on the radio uh, that, that was happening in, in the 60s. I really wanted to play music in a band. And because my dad was a drummer and percussionist, you know, because he did both very well, and all his friends that were over, and he taught also at the music school, so I went with him uh, at the drum shop to with him, so while he taught students. uh, I think that I took drums and percussion as a vehicle to be in a band to play music. If my dad would have been a guitar player or a pianist, that would have been probably the vehicle. Yeah. But, you know, uh, so then of course, I thought at, at early in my my youth that percussion was all over the place in Puerto Rico so it was a lot of fun but I wanted to become a veterinarian. I mean, I was into <laughs> the animals.
2: Okay. Yeah,
1: it was my dream was not necessarily to be at that time, you know, like a musician like my dad or anything like that. It was just I thought that that was just it around the house all the time. And then I think when I got into you know, like 12, uh, I was 12 years old and, you know, you start going to dances and dates and stuff like that. The girls were like, Oh my God, look at this guy, (laughs) you know, with the long hair and playing guitar. And, and I'm going like, wow. So I got into the music and I, and I went to a dance and the girls like, were like loving this band and I didn't think it would, they were that great. And I came home, <laughs> I remember, the the, the morning I, I was waiting for my dad to wake up, and I I said, Dad, can you teach me how to play drum set? I, will, I already know how to play some percussion <laughs> instruments. Right. And he goes, well, don't think that you're just going to sit on the drum set and just learn a few beats and be in a band. That's not the way. So I'm going, well, what do I have to do? He goes, well... I'll get you a practice pad, a metronome, <laughs> uh, the book of rudiments, and and, uh, <laughs> and you and a pair of sticks, and and you have to go through this. And I'm going, oh my god, I don't know. So so I did that, and I stuck it out, and then from there on, it developed, and I never looked back. I never stopped.
0: Well, see, I, I find that interesting. You know, I mean, I I just assume that that your dad was old school like that, but I mean, he he really put you through the ringer. Then, you know, not like, hey, here, sit down behind my drums and I'm going to show you some stuff. He he literally put you through the paces on the pad and you know learning your 26 rudiments and all that stuff. That's pretty. That's pretty awesome.
1: Oh yeah, it's really incredible because uh, if I think teaching a child today. Like that, they will quit. But yeah. my dad was almost making me, like, you know, this is what you're going to go through, and if you're serious, you'll go through it, and then more. So my dad never sat me on a drum set. Wow. I, I never sat on a stool behind the drum set and never banged on a drum set or anything like that. So I played some percussion instruments on my own. Uh, my dad taught me a little bit of that. and But then when I actually started studying drum set, technique meaning you know of course timbales eventually and timpani and all that so you start practicing the drum set technique um once i gave him like four months when we were in puerto rico and then my dad got contracted to come to las vegas to do a show in las vegas and it looked really well uh the contract and And Las Vegas was growing like crazy. And then the economy was a little weird in Puerto Rico. So my dad decided we should move here. I got a lot of work here. So when we decided to move, my dad was gone. You know, my mom, uh, Matilda, was preparing. You know, I was the oldest of five. So she was busy with the kids packing and all that. And there was the drum set and my dad's drum set. So I actually set it up on my own. And of course, illegally, because it was not supposed to, I was supposed to be on my practice pad, and the metronome. And I set it up and I remember I put honky-tongue woman.
0: Oh yeah, of course.
1: Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and there's a whole story about that one that actually was really interesting 'Cause today you see YouTube's I put Hunketon Woman and the first thing I saw the visual was this guy's. Okay, so he's the drummer, he's the singer, he's the guitarist.
2: <laughs> right, you know, right.
1: So the first thing I heard, Hunketon Woman starts with a cowbell. Right. And then the drums that comes in, so I thought Charlie Watts was playing all of that. Okay. So yeah. I thought I thought he was playing cowbell with the left hand, and then with the right hand he was playing hi hat and I had a snare and kick. So it was the most difficult be- beat. <laughs> <laughs> Until later on in the year, somebody told me, "No, that's an overdub." You know, like somebody, the singer played cowbell.
0: Yeah, it, it, was it was actually was, their producer. It was Jimmy Miller was that played pro- that played the cowbell part.
1: Jimmy Miller, right? Yeah. And, you know, he was famous because later on in 1994 and dear Mr. Fantasy at the very end, Jim Capaldi <laughs> told me that those maracas that you hear on at the end is Jamie Miller came into the studio and he started playing. <laughs>
0: so, Jimmy Miller may be the, the most famous uncredited percussionist of all time. He's certainly been on some of the biggest songs of all time as a percussionist, which is amazing in and of itself, you know.
1: You know, I agree with you because, like, when I later on in the years when I was playing with Jim Capaldi and Steve Winwood with Traffic, I had to play Jimmy Miller's part at the end of "Dear Mr. <laughs> Fantasy." So I, <laughs> I, I asked uh, Jimmy, "said you know, was that a Reba who I don't think was in the band yet. So who's playing all of that?" He goes, "Man, Jimmy Miller got so excited <laughs> in the booth that he opened up the door and picked up some maracas and just went nuts in the studio." And I'm going, "Okay."
0: Oh, that's so fantastic. But so, I mean, back to the story of, you know, honky tonk women or or woman, as it were. Um, So you were actually trying to do everything at once. I mean, and obviously, you know, you have that level of independence now. But is that where it came from? I mean, were you just, you know, when you finally got behind a drum set, were you just playing along with every record you could find?
1: Yes. And so I started imitating the music that I loved. And with that being said, even before that, you know, I, that was Honky Tonk Woman that I try to play on the drum set. But even before that, you know, when I was a kid, I used to mow lawns and help my mom and then mow the neighbor's lawns and all that. and they used to give me a little bit of money. And, you know, I've had, I had gifts. Of course, you, kids always ask for their mom and dad. Can you buy me this? Can you buy me that? Ooh, this is what I want for my birthday. This and that. But when I kind of like earned my money, uh, I remember there was a store named Gemco and it had a record part. you know, like Walmart does, yeah. and some of those stores. And, and back then I, I would just look at the, at the front of the records, the LPs, and it was just colorful and they were big. And here comes this, I heard, this music on the radio. And I went, I got to go and buy that. And I actually found it. And, um, it was the first record I bought with my own earned money was CTA, Chicago transit authority. Wow. And, and I opened up that album and I remember, I don't know if I'm just weird or whatever, but you know what, what I used to do is like in my room, you know, my, my dad had jazz records and his, uh, room and then my mom had a lot of salsa music in the living room and she blasted it while she did housework and cooked and whatever but you know when i locked the door into my room i put my turntable i put the records and with the and then i actually got into the the record credits and the photos and traveled yeah so when i put cta and i look at the guys you know like i was actually looking at the guys you know playing because I saw the picture yeah, and, you know, later on the poster that came, I think in the, I believe it was the second of the Chicago two, uh, that was a poster of the guy sitting down. So I almost like if I knew just like I did with the Beatles, you know, like, I mean, I, when I heard the songs, I know it was Ringo playing drums and I know it was Paul and John and all that. So I did that with every band and visualize this guy's, Playing for the audience, and my dream was not necessarily playing drums with the band. It's basically I wanted to play music for the audience. Yeah, 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 yeah. More than playing drums, like you know, it's it was not. Well, oh, I want to play drums with this. It was not that. It was like all these guys are moving people with these songs that they wrote and 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 playing this music, and this all these people come to see them. And, and being moved, you know, emotionally, physically, and that's why I even tell today, you know, it's like, because, you know, you pay. It's almost like you pay to be moved. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Otherwise, why even go to a concert? You have the record. So you go for the experience, the physical, mental, visual, sonic experience, you know, so... Yeah, well, well, here I am. Yeah, I
0: mean, it. Well, yeah, you sound like so many others. I mean, that's kind of you know my own experience was you know you you grab the album or or the CD or the cassette or, wh- or whatever format it was on, and you know I used to lock myself in the room and just get lost in the music and and literally you know it was a spiritual thing for me. It was you know you just when you're young you connect to those favorite records so deeply um
1: exactly you know and and that's you know that's the music of your the soundtrack what i call the soundtrack to your life
0: yeah yeah well how amazing is it i mean i i don't know how many people out there could ever possibly say the first record I ever bought with my own money was and name any band any artist and then you know fast forward a couple of decades and you're playing in that band how amazing is that
1: I know i, I I'm still trying to like you know figure it out sometimes I, I I have a little <laughs> bit of a i don't know maybe not fear but like, do I have a more of a purpose? Because you know, there's a lot of dreams that came true. So to to add to that, uh my second album was Disraeli Gears by Cream. And I never got to meet Ginger Baker or Eric Clapton or uh, Bruce, but you know, like my third album was Upper and uh and Santana and then when Santana came on the radio it was kind of like Latin rock, and they yeah. played songs, of course, like Oye Como Vas, a Tito Puente song, and Jingo uh, uh, was uh, Olatunde, which was an African uh, percussion artist that I already knew. So I had like really, I felt, we all in Puerto Rico felt close with Santana, meaning that he was playing the music that the other guys were playing, like Eric Clapton and blues and rock, and that kind of thing, but with the Latin and the, and, the, and the rhythm and blues. So, you know, I bought this album, and, you know, and then later on, even Traffic and all that, so I, I, I bought all of this, but I don't know how it happened, but maybe that dream persisted inside of me because that was the original feeling, the original honest truth. And then, you know, of course, I got into drums and percussion, and then I moved to Las Vegas, and I started playing with rock bands of my age in Las Vegas and studying percussion. And that was like 1970. And then all of a sudden we're, I'm in Las Vegas and then I started getting picked up into some bands as a percussionist while I was learning drum set. And, and then one, I started getting into all kinds of music, but always, always following my, my love of... You know, when Led Zeppelin came out, when Humble Pie came out, when Grand Funk Railroad came out, uh, you know, you name it, Edgar Edgar Winner and Chicago and Bloods and Tears and then Cold Blood and Flying the Family Stone. So, you know, that was the music that I would go to. But meanwhile, I opened up myself to classical music, to jazz. My dad started turning me on to different like Miles Davis. And I got into so many jazz artists. And and Latin, uh, and then all of a sudden, I started getting a job with Debbie Reynolds. Who was the first huge artist that hired me as a percussionist. Yeah. Well, and, and so, it's and
0: it's because you were so well rounded by that point. I mean, you know, I mean, it's it, guys like you don't come along very often that can transition kind of seamlessly from percussion to drum set, et cetera. Uh, you know, so I mean, I, I think it it made you infinitely marketable during that time when there were so many different influences going into popular music of the day.
1: Yes. Uh, uh, Well, that's, that's well put. I, I didn't want to become just a rock drummer or a Latin drummer. I wanted to play music and anything that anybody wanted to play with me, whether it's country and in those days in Las Vegas, the Strip. It was really interesting because I'm here now, and I was just uh, I'm, I was with a lot of friends of mine last night at the Bootlegger. Uh, if anybody is in Las Vegas, there's a Italian restaurant named the Bootlegger, and at the Copa Lounge, there's one of the most amazing bands, Santa Fe and the Fat City Horns. And I knew some of these guys from the '70s here, and we were just talking about how. Different Las Vegas is so in Las Vegas, if you can picture it was four things, okay <laughs> the strip and downtown in the strip, it was more well dressed it was the hotels was like Debbie Reynolds, Sinatra, uh Jackie Green, the comedian uh Nacking Cole, I mean you know, it was just like the big acts like that with a tuxedo and a band strings you know, uh, uh, Jack Jones, that kind of thing. And then in downtown was more country. So you had like um, Roy, um, uh, you know, I'm trying to remember all the names now, you know, Tanya Tucker. Yeah. And, you know, you got many country artists that at that time were not that huge. And then any rock concert was not allowed in the strip or downtown. So the hippies were not allowed in the strip. So basically... I went to the convention center to hear the Guess Who. I saw Steely Dan with Jeff Porcaro on drums. I saw Chicago in 1974. Uh, And, and, uh, you know, and all the rock bands were outside of the strip. Poco, uh, Procol Harum, and Blues Image. I mean, and on and on and on and on. And so all of a sudden, uh, it, it started getting fused together where... Oh, and then in, in North Las Vegas, which was more like the black section of Las Vegas, uh, in, in the, and way back then in 1950s, black artists like Nakin Cole and Sammy Davis could not stay in the strip. They yeah. stayed in North Las Vegas, so there was the Moulin Rouge over there. So I used to play this clubs in North Las Vegas, which I knew some of these guys that were there last night, and we were reminiscing where we were playing these really funky clubs in North Las Vegas, and then coming over they were not lettuce in the strip and then it all started fusing together where um, now the rock bands is a different story so now we own the town bruno mars was just here you know lionel richie started playing and then shaka khan i remember when shaka khan played uh in the sahara space center it was a revolution here in las vegas the paper said oh my god the end of Las Vegas, these hippies are taking over the new generation with all these outfits. And now, you know, it's funny because they used to say that when I was young, the, the, the big band musicians, you guys are going to ruin this town with your rock and roll groups. <laughs> and now I find telling the DJs that you yeah. guys are ruining this town with your DJ thing. There's no live music. Oh, that's uh, funny. Well, yeah, so, the evolution.
0: Yeah, I mean it is a natural evolution. But you know, at that time in Vegas, you know, you're cutting your teeth, you're playing all these gigs and everything. The the one thing that I notice in your resume that's just super impressive to me is in the early '80s you were playing with you know the great David Lindley, and you know I'm a huge fan of Jackson Brown and and you know all that stuff and. David is just, you know, they call him not a multi-instrumentalist, but a maxi-instrumentalist. Intru- he can play anything, basically, that you put in front of him. And you were playing with, you know, El Rayo X in, you know, the mid-80s. That That's impressive for a young guy who's just getting started to be playing with somebody like David Lindley. And then, of course, right afterwards, you played with Jackson Brown and, You know, then that led to the Santana gig and then, you know, Boz Skaggs and Gloria Estefan and, you know, Traffic, Robbie Robertson. I mean, your resume is just amazing. Amazing. Um,
1: Well, thank you. I I don't know how it happened. You know, it was not planned. (laughs) (laughs) It never is, right? (laughs) I I think, you know, it's uh, this is just like sometimes I've been trying to figure out myself. You know, I think that the discipline that I acquire in Las Vegas in the 70s, like two shows a night, give it all out at dinner show, and then again at the cocktail show, seven days a week. It's got to be whatever, and different artists. You know, you had Debbie Reynolds, and, and who I played in Vegas before I moved to L.A. was Debbie Reynolds and then Julia Prowse. Um, then I started in college. Uh, while I was in college, I got the gig with Lola Falana on drums, Play with Doc Severinsen on drums, uh, and then uh, Ben Vereen, Marilyn McCoo. Then I moved to Las Vegas, and then I paid dues there from 80 to 84. I started playing with Tanya Maria, the jazz, and yeah. I started doing sessions in L.A. And while I was with Tanya Maria, I played the New Orleans Jazz Festival. And you know, at that time, I was into everything. Reggae, Caribbean, rock and roll, you name it, you know, anything. I could put my tuxedo Go and play classical and, you know, put some jogging suit and go and play some some hard rock, you know. Yeah. Uh, and and so uh, this guy came to me and said, hey, man, uh, I would love for, for you to audition. Uh, we're getting David Lindley and a Rio X back on the road. So I knew David Lindley from Jackson Brown as a steel guitar player uh, with Jackson Brown. But the connection was Jorge Calderón, which later on was a Grammy producer for uh, Warren Zevon. Oh, yeah, And so basically that, I have to credit David Lindley and Jorge. Uh, I went from the jazz world and doing gigs in L.A. and recording and all that. I started uh, playing with David Lindley, and on our first concert uh, of David Lindley in 1985, Joe Walsh was there. Jackson Brown and Bunny Ray came to see Lindley.
0: No pressure.
1: I mean, no pressure backstage. And, and Joe Walsh, you know, like, I mean, at that time, it was just so funny and crazy. He goes, Lindley, where did you get this dude? I mean, he's nuts. I mean, you know, like, and so Lindley uh, influenced me into being, into, I think, gave gave me self-esteem because uh uh he um i was like you know cuban rocker i love blues so we literally is a musical historian so he loves ethnic music he loves folkloric music he loves japanese music we talk about reggae cuban the tres the you know uh all kinds of music we never stopped i mean you know like we could drink coffee and talk music so he made me and, and 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 encouraged me to be original. So Lindley didn't want like the newest stuff on the drum set. I remember one time I got a, a, a cymbal endorsement and I put all these new cymbals on my <laughs> drum set. And he goes, what happened to your green crack cymbals? And I went, well, I kind of like throw them away. He goes, go and get them. Well, that's Duh, great. That was the sound of the band. And so I have to put the green funky crack cymbals on my drum set, and I said, well, that is true. He he said cymbals and sticks and drum heads and all, everything involved, the noise between the notes, everything becomes the sound of the band. So be careful when you change a drum head or you change a, a stick size or you change a cymbal, it affects the sound of the band. Amen. And I went like, holy cow, you are right. So he uh, encouraged me, man, and, and, you know, I played with Jackson Brown, of course, because of Lindley and many other artists all through the 80s, uh, including Jimmy Barnes in Australia. And then we opened. uh, Jerry Garcia loved Lindley. So, uh, you know, as you know, uh, the Grateful Dead, they had a choice, each band member, to see who's going to be the opening act. So when it came to Jerry, he said, I want Lindley to open the Grateful Dead. So we opened for The Grateful Dead once with Los Lobos and The Grateful Dead and the other in 1988 with Santana and The Grateful Dead. And that's the beginning of the story of Santana when he saw me play timbales and drum set at the same time and he asked me to be in the band and I joined in 1989.
0: Wow. Well so now is yeah. that is that the connection? I know you did some work with Mickey Hart. From the dead was that the that was con-
1: later. Oh, yeah, I yeah. know it
0: was later. But was that where you first met Mickey, and and did that connection persist? Uh,
1: actually, you know, Mickey saw Lindley and all that, but you know, it, it was actually much later. After, unfortunately, uh, it was actually uh, okay. So that was 1989 with Santana, and it that was not the connection. Never met Mickey, uh, even though the Grateful Dead played after us much later. Uh it was later on I, I played with Santana until ninety three. Then in nineteen ninety four, because I played percussion and drums, uh Steve Winwood and Jim Capaldi wanted me to play drum set when Jim was playing percussion and and singing and percussion when Jim was on drums. And so we did eleven stadium tour uh it was like an 11 stadium tour with the Grateful Dead. I mean, it was like a hundred thousand people yeah. each concert. And that's when I sat in with Mickey and uh, Bill and uh, with the Grateful Dead and, 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 Jerry sat with traffic. There's a YouTube video, the uh, Jerry with uh dear Mr. Fantasy. And that's when, when the connection happened with Mickey and then later on, I, I, I play On tour with him, with the Mickey Hart and the Jam All Stars.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so I mean, you know, I I just I thought maybe that was where you guys initially had made the connection. But and I don't want to gloss anything over here. But you know, playing with with Steve Winwood, you were with Steve for you know, and and Traffic for many years. I mean, I want to say between ten years. Yeah, between the two, it was probably a decade, if not longer, and. You know, you did uh, several years with Lindsey Buckingham. I mean, I again, I mean, I, I just go back to the to the same line. Your resume is it's insane. I mean, it, it really is. Robbie Robertson from the band. I mean, you have played with a who's who of American music and, and English music, for that matter, um, you know, for 30 years, 35 years um, it's just amazing to me. I mean, it's it's actually like, I'm
1: I'm older than that. It's actually I was trying to count with my fingers the <laughs> other day. It's more like 46.
0: Oh man! <laughs> so yeah, you're making me feel old now, Wally. Gosh. Uh,
1: <laughs> so, but you know, um, I I think that that um, I think music, and I say this to younger people. It's a 50-50 thing. So 50%, if you actually take 50% and it's about your instrument and making music, learn everything about the technique of your instrument, and now making music with people, right? So that's the music part. When you actually rehearse and play a show, it's got to be no more than three hours. So the other 21 hours of the day, 24 hours, you have to be... A human being and live with people, yeah, so you either are getting inspired, inspiring, motivating, then you sleep for for like hopefully no less than six hours, and then you're back up and then you're have either having coffee together again or you know breakfast lunch or touring on the bus or at an airport, that matters, and so when you actually Uh, I remember one time there's a bass player in LA that I love the early and his son is playing with Paul McCartney now, Abe Laborel Laborel Jr. Oh yeah, Abe Laborel was famous and he did it to me. And I remember stories of musicians when, when he arrived in the studio before he even played a note, everybody was, the self-esteem was big. It's like, like, you know, I remember a friend of mine said, man, I played this recording session and I was so afraid, so, so nervous. And all of a sudden I started playing like this groove just to sound check the drums and this and that. And Abe came to me and went, man, you are unbelievable. That sounds fantastic. Oh, this is going to be great. You know, like, and the guy just felt like, damn, this is going to be great. Really? I sound great. You know, like that's, the, you you want a positive energy on on the re, on recording studio on the stage, yeah. And so if you, I, I always have a saying: nobody wants to tour with a genius that they cannot stand.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. After the, the the concert is over, it's like, let me get away from this guy. Well, so you know, we that's, t- that's that matters. You it,
0: know, it does, and we talk about that so much on this show, Wally. We have said. I can't tell you how many guests we've had on the show that says, you know, the two hours that I'm on stage does not matter as much as the 22 hours that I'm trapped on the bus with my bandmates. You you have to be, <laughs> that's right. Not only do you have to be a great drummer, but you have to be a great hang. And we, we say that all the time on here. It's all about the hang. And, you know, I, I personally know from experience That bands, when they're looking for a musician to come in and play, they are more concerned about, I'm going to be stuck with this person for the next eight months on the road. They would rather have, you know, dare I say, uh, uh, not the best musician that's better to be with all day, every day than to have the best drummer in the world in the band that's a total butthole all the time. Nobody wants that, you know.
1: Yeah. And, 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 you know, like a drama queen and, you know, that kind of thing. So like, and, and, and the same thing goes with, with, with girl. Now that I say queen, it's not, I don't mean that derogatory, like a drama queen can be a girl and a guy, yeah, you sure. know what I'm saying? But, sure. but, you know, like, um, the same thing uh, happens. Uh, so I, I'm one of the things that I, um, encourage because you realize that it's not about you, it's about, you po- you have to point the finger. Like, there is live past the cymbals. So when you actually sit on your drum set, uh, you know, we have a lot of real estate on a drum set sometimes. You know, the bigger the drum set gets, it's like big real estate, and we have to keep up with, like, okay, the left, you know, the left snare drum and the big floor tom-tom over there, my cymbals and all that. But you got to remember that past the cymbals, there's the guitar player, the singer trying to... Uh, sing the lyrics yeah, and you have to be compassionate, considerate. So you have to come down when the singer steps to the microphone and it's going to tell the story about on a verse and then on a chorus. And it's not about look, the fancy lick that I'm playing right here in the verse, (laughs) you know, with my hi hat, Uh, you know, the story, when you're in the audience, it's like, okay, she's going to tell a love story or a fun story and you're supposed to, it's just about, making the music groove so the story is told. And it's not about me. It's about them, you know, who hire me. Right. And so I, I always, you know, there's three bosses right here. I call them bosses because of the truth, you know, even though they don't act like a boss. Robert Lamb, Jimmy Pankow, Lee Lockney, and our manager, uh, Peter Chivarelli. So, you know, I, my dream came true already with Chicago. And I try to keep up with myself and, you know, always keep in shape and make the music be consistent. And but, you know, once in a while I come to the dressing room and I say to Robert, like, how's it going? And, uh, you know, is there anything that I can do that you might think of that we can make the music better and take it to another level? And so, uh, you know, because you don't want to be stagnant and just, okay, this is not like a factory here. We're just cranking shows, cranking shows for 50-something 50, 50 years. And, you know, that, what I, what I'm trying to say to them is just like, if there's anything that you can imagine, or, man, I wish that Wally would play this fill here, you know, go, go ahead, you know, just come and tell me, We'll we'll try it. You know, let's try anything to make the situation better. And music and stage, off stage in the bus, personal life. That's what life is about, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, and, you know, and I think it's interesting, your story with Chicago, um, and, and I know it's been told before, but I think it's really cool because, you know, you came into the band, um, and I may get the date wrong, but probably 2011, 2012, as, Correct, yeah. as a percussionist. And you had been friends with you know the great Tris and Bowden for how many years had you guys been friends oh, at that point? You I know? was
1: a, a fan of Tris, yeah, and and play with Tris on percussion and his band with Cecilia uh, uh, Noel and the Wild Clams, and I played drums with Cecilia Noel and the Wild Clams when Tris was on the road, so we knew each other. I actually came through Chicago because there was a period that when Drew Hester was playing percussion, and when with Joe Walsh, my brother Danny came in to sub Drew while he was playing with Zach Brown Band. So my brother Danny plays percussion with Zach Brown Band, and at that time I was freelancing because uh, I was with Lindsey Buckingham from 2007 and in 2011 one of our main guys in the band had a situation in his back that he needed to be, had a, had a back operation and the, the, the tour halted and Lindsay decided not to continue. So now I found myself January completely open. So what you do, like a freelance musician, it's like, okay, no, no touring. And so uh, you start making calls and I was playing you know, working on my CD, playing with the band El Chicano, which was a great band from the 1970s, also. Yeah. And uh, and i uh, just doing all kinds of gigs. And my brother said, "Hey, you want to do this, this two weeks on percussion? Because I'm gonna go back with Zach Brown band." And uh, and at that time he was not made a member. And the the timing was happen was happening that. I came in just to play percussion with Chicago for two weeks. That's it. So after my third show, Robert came to me and said, man, your brother's with Zach Brown, and you sound like you've been with us forever. And I said, I have been with you forever. Yeah, right. (laughs) Since the first CD, I mean, the first record. And I saw you guys so many times with Lao Chi playing percussion. And so he said, well, if you want to hop on the bus and come with us, You're welcome. So that, that was the hiring line right there. I gotcha. So it was not formal. Yeah. (laughs)
0: So, so literally a two week sub gig turned into you being the full-time percussionist in Chicago. And then I guess at some point, you know, uh, three years ago, four years ago, somewhere in there, Tris decided that he wasn't going to do the road thing anymore. And
1: Yeah, actually, in two in 2017, at the end of 2017, so I started on drum set. Uh, some guys didn't even know that I played drums, so I, uh, <laughs> r- yeah, because, you know, these guys are into their own thing. And uh, yeah. Robert Lamb knew, and, you know, and then uh, Ray Herman and I have uh, toured together with Johnny Holliday. So when the, you know, when when it came into the table, Ray Herman said like, man, you kidding me? While he, you know, I, I, I did a five month tour with Johnny Holiday. And then of course I played drums with Lou Pardini. Yeah. And uh, uh, before, and Keith knew, and you know, that I played drums, and you know, of course, you just have to go to YouTube and see a lot of videos. <laughs> and, right. Uh, so then, you know, it was really funny because, uh, Peter, it moved really quickly. You know, there was a, a situation that happened where Jeff Coffey and Tris uh, sent a resignation, and they wanted to stay more at home. And then immediately, I mean, at a speed of light, this guy's Chicago is a, is a train that goes forward at a speed of light. When they stop, if you're not in the train, they go. <laughs> right. So, yeah, so I was on percussion, and I, you know, I was active playing drums, too. But I thought at that time I was, I bought a house in Vegas. I, I was moving from LA to Las Vegas and all of a sudden it's like, Wally, you're on drums. we got a bass player. Your brother's going to be on percussion. we got a singer. It starts January, 2018 in Las Vegas. You start. Okay. All right. See ya. <laughs> I go, holy cow, man. Just, wait just a second. like that. You know. oh. Yeah. Because, um, changing from percussion to drums, it's like you're on the same road, but now you're driving a different car.
0: Right. Right. Exactly. And that's a great analogy. So, you know, I I, I try to explain this. I, I'm a terrible percussionist. I, I, you know, I don't have good technique. You know, I can make noise. That's about it. But guys that are <laughs> really good on the percussion instruments, you know, the, the uh, you know, the kungas and you know uh, timbales and and can really do what they do and and know what's going on to make that switch then back over to drum set you know same band you've been doing the gig for a few years as percussionist to move over as drummer i mean obviously you're a huge fan of chicago first record you ever bought uh with your own money um did you have some nerves making that switch or were you just like okay no problem
1: uh no there's a learning curve uh like just like i said like with a car i mean you might have a little more automatic car and now you have one that is more manual and you have to make more decisions like the the count offs oh yeah and certain tempos and stuff like that and um the the percussion in the band chicago is more like the coloring on a plate you know like so Tris was the meat and potatoes and then, you know, I'm the butter on top of the potatoes yeah. and the little salt and the partially and the, and, uh, you know, like what, what you get around the plate to season it. And sometimes it doesn't need too much season and sometimes it needs a lot more. Right. And, and Tris is the, the, the foundation. So on the drone. So the same thing happens right now. So, you know, I moved over to a more foundation and the main thing is to, uh, to, uh, uh, like I always say in my drum clinics, it's about tempos, grooves that feel good, and styles. So in which Chicago, for example, you know, like, like Color My World, they don't want faster or they don't want slower one night. They want the same tempo. So you got to know what tempo it is. It starts there. And then when you play, when you know the tempo that it feels good for the song, what you play has to feel good. The decision of what you play, the content in that tempo, the groove, has to feel good. But it might be a 12A blues. Or, and the other double time, is more like a Latin thing. On introduction, there's a section where there's a three walls jazz. So that style. So you gotta know jazz. You gotta know rhythm and blues. You gotta know funk. You gotta know Latin. You gotta know harder rock with double bass drum when it comes to like, say, like a, uh, feeling stronger every day, you know, like uh, 25 or 6 to 4. So those are styles. So it's really, if you actually concentrate on those three, it's something that has to be acquired on the drum set and on percussion. Now, soloing is an optional. Uh, if you have those three, you can do the job. And soloing is an added thing. So we do a drum solo, percussion drum solo, when I was with Triff, and now I do it with Ray Islas. But Chicago didn't hire me because I solo, or they don't hire most drummers because they solo. Yeah. If you can solo, it's great. But if you can solo and you cannot play the right tempos, grooves, and styles, then you're not it, this is not like a 2-hour drum solo.
0: Right. Yeah, you're there to serve the songs and and that songbook, exactly. that songbook is so amazing. Uh, I mean, these guys have been at it for, you know, 50 years and um, you know, it's just a, a very deep, uh, you know, collection of material and it, it's diverse. You you talked about tempos, and I'm just curious. And and, you know, you don't have to give away any secrets, but do you play to a click, or do you have a click that will get you the right tempo to start a song, or are you on the click all night?
1: No, I I actually do all of the above. Some things are not with a click, but I got to know the tempo. Right. And when it's on a click, there's different purposes. Uh, It's basically because maybe these guys might have some maybe disagreement on where it should be, and then they decide this has got to be it every night. And sometimes, like today with technology, uh, a lot of people don't, don't realize that, you know, Chicago uh, doubled the horns on the recordings. That's why you got that fat sound. So sometimes, you know, when you actually have the same, so you have three players, and then you have an addition on some songs it sounds fatter when, 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 the, when the, the song is like really rock, you know, and takes over on guitar, you know, they wanted a fatter horn sound. So sometimes they have some patches. And today, like with Lindsey Buckingham, it was the same. And with Steve Winwood, I counted, I used the Rhythm ta- Tama metronome. Oh, yeah, yeah, the Rhythm Watch. I mean, yeah. that, that sucker, is part of my hi-hat. So when I, when I set up the hi-hat, it has a clamp to the Rhythm Man. so in every kind of music not just with chicago right now if you call me to play in your band or any artist out there that is listening and you send me like a list of like 20 songs the very first thing i'm gonna do is i'm gonna listen to song number one and <laughs> notch down the tempo and yeah. song number two and i'm gonna notch down the tempo so at the end of the listening of 20 songs I know what tempos am I going to count. And then I learn the song, the style, the groove, what makes the song. And like you said, uh, like two minutes ago, to serve the song, what, what should I do to serve the song, not to serve me? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I, always, I always have a saying, I play drums, uh, I use drums to make music. I don't use music to play to make drumming.
0: Yeah, you know what I'm saying? I, I do. Yeah. And that's so wise. I mean, it really is. I, you know, I, I have gone to see bands, um, you, you know, uh, in the local scene. Let, let's just put it this way. Okay. So you, you go out and you see a band play and, You know, some of my non-musician friends will say, well, you know, their drummer wasn't very good. And I'll say, oh, no, he was the best guy in the band, (laughs) you know, because because he played a straight tempo all night. He made those songs groove. He only played fills where they were appropriate, you know but a non-musician friend may say, oh, that drummer was incredible and he was just overplaying all night. And I completely disagree. So it's, I, I think it's in the, uh, the ear of the beholder, right?
1: Right, that's true. Uh, many artists, for example, Carlos, like with Carlos Santana, he actually did not want a consistent tempo. He wanted to play the tempo that he felt at that time. So sometimes he would start a song will be a lot faster. Tanya Maria, the same thing. So you can you gotta forget your metronome. I mean, you know, even if the song felt good at this tempo, but now, you know, they get bored really easy and they wanna experiment. So they're more experimental. Yeah. That'll take it takes a lot more balls to be on stage and actually sometimes it doesn't work. And you took a chance. Some artists do not want to chance it. If it worked once, like Lindsey Buckingham, Chicago, Steve Winwood it works really well. And they saw the reaction. Keep it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You
1: know, just like that restaurant served me really good food. I'm going to be back. You right. Know? So yeah. Like a, yeah. Yeah. That- so uh, there's artists that are more experimental and they want to uh, experiment and Hey, let's try. It. And Carlos is like, almost like a child that way, you know, remember sometimes <laughs> even on the stage we were playing and, you know, we played night, you know, one time, like, you know, I was just like with a groove, kind of like flying the Family Stone, like Gregorico. And and all of a sudden he came to me and, and you know, right in the middle of the concert, went on stage and went, hey man, can you play more like Rashad Ali, which was the drummer with Coltrane <laughs> after Elvin Johnson. I was trying to figure out, how am I gonna put Rashad Ali into this groove funky tune? And uh, I'm that's going like, great. wow, that's wild. And so, you know, but that's what he's about, you know, experimenting. And so, yeah. Each artist, it's almost like music. Uh, we're like restaurants, and sometimes you gotta be ready. You know, you, um, I specialize in, in this, and so yeah. But you can you make a burger for my kid, and uh, we'll have the, the meatballs. And <laughs> right. my daughter right. wants so, this.
0: Sometimes your <laughs> artist orders something that's not on your menu, and you, and you got to exactly. figure it
1: out. Yeah. Exactly. And so you, you know, that's mo- my most frequent professional word is sure. Okay. Yeah. That's it. I've, I've I've said that in sessions and go like, hey, can you play like the bass drum, like in quarter notes? And then with your left hand, play the floor tom, but with your right hand, do this with the bell of the cymbal. And I'm going, <laughs> are you kidding me? And, and, but what in the inside, I might be doing that. Uh, but and the outside, I want I go like, sure, okay, let's go for it. Yeah, and it might work and it might not work. I may be wrong. Maybe maybe the craziness works, you know. Yeah, but you have to give the customer what they want.
2: That, that's
0: right, and, and you've been doing that for so long in your career. And and you know, I would be remiss if I didn't mention, you know, for for folks that aren't following you on the different social media platforms. Um, you know, you have been consistently over the last year or so putting out some great drum cams, you know, on Instagram, on Facebook, things like that. And I, I just want to say, it, I can tell that you're having so much daggone fun playing those songs. But, you know, there, there's a lot of guys that put out drum cams from concerts and sometimes it doesn't sound very good or sometimes the angle is a little wonky. Folks, I'm telling you right now, you need to be following Wally on social media and look at some of these videos that he's putting out because, A, your drums sound amazing. The mix in those videos is tremendous and you're having such a good time. But I always like to see, you know, the drummer's perspective. I love that stuff to go, oh, well, I never would have thought about playing it like that you know i know what you're doing <laughs> but look at his sticking it's different than than what i would try to do i love that stuff and you're putting great content out there for us to all
1: see well thank you uh that that's how uh, you can actually see them uh in uh slash uh, video so it's like part of my website and you know i put them in, in instagram uh twitter and Facebook, they, they they all have their own situation, uh, but you can actually go and see them there too. But all of them are in uh, not just Chicago. So I've been, my idea was, you know, I don't know the house guy does his sound on, depending on the room. But I, we have an amazing monitor guy and I tell you, I hardly talk to this guy. So that means that he's doing such a great job. <laughs> uh, if I don't talk to him in the, at the end of the tour I go man have you been you know because yeah. like, I never have to ask anything because it's almost like what he gives me in my in ears is a CD CD quality and so I hope that that's the same sound out there but you know what I hear is fantastic so when I film my GoPro from the drum set view I don't use the audio from the GoPro I use the, the audio in my in-ears
0: oh so that's your personal mix yes wow well i i'll i don't know who your monitor engineer is but i give him two thumbs up because if i ever got a mix like that in my in-ears i'd never leave the venue i i would just well, stay forever
1: smiling so much yeah gosh man <laughs> and, and you know and you, i close my eyes sometimes and disappear and i'm going oh my god where am i <laughs> oh yeah yeah like, like,
0: it's, I mean, it's, it's a really good mix and, and I love those videos and, you know, as I said, sometimes you, you see those from other guys and they miss the mark on, on one thing or another. Yours are, are primo. So we'll send some folks to your site. And of course I'll link up to your site from the drumshuffle.com as well so that everybody can go check out what we're talking about. It's, it's really phenomenal. It really is.
1: Thank you. And I, uh, I got the first batch of videos was in 2018. It's mainly a show, and I, I put them all uh, one by one. And that was a, a DW uh, Old Maple set, Sabian cymbals, and I had the Emperor coated hat. So in this year is a, a Mapa Burl drum set with the color tone Remo blue hats, the same cymbals, Sabian an LP, and of course my Regal tip, Alfredo Reyes Jr. model, which I use, like, I play with the tip on the right hand, and then I I like to play with the butt end on the left and out of habit. And um, so uh, this year, I, I'm planning to put more videos so i'm i'm going to do that probably uh good i'm getting married march 21st and then i go back on tour so when i finish this <laughs> le- uh, leg of the the Las Vegas tour I'm getting married and then I'm going back out on the road and I'll be putting the GoPro camera again. So nice. stay tuned.
0: Well, congratulations on your upcoming wedding. I didn't realize it was that quick. And you know, I, I don't want to give away any secrets, but I, I think my listeners know where I live. You're not too far from me right now. Are you going to continue making your home in this area or are you guys going to
2: move?
1: Yeah, I actually, um, <clears throat> you know since i already told you my trajectory it was been cuba puerto rico las vegas since i was 13. and then 1980 i moved to los angeles you know it's been there for a lot of years a lot of years uh i have three kids that are gorgeous and uh fantastic and my daughter is the singer percussionist with george benson yeah and uh so she graduated from usc my oldest son is a great artist painter photographer drummer and my youngest, which is 24, is a bartender in Highland Park, California. Uh, and then I decided, well, you know, they're on uh, their they're, they're adventure of life. And uh, I moved back to Vegas in 2016, bought a house, and I met my fiancé, which lived in Cincinnati. So I actually started traveling to Cincinnati. She loved Las Vegas, and I love Cincinnati also. And we just bought a house uh, across the river from Cincinnati, northern Kentucky, Newport, north Kentucky. Yeah. And so, you know, I mean, a drummer needs a house. And the third floor is my, uh, my little studio, and I have a basement. And two blocks from me, there's a great recording studio, state-of-the-art. The, art. the uh, Ashley Shepherd bought a church, and that's where we're getting married, actually. But it's a recording studio which is unbelievable and I have a DW set over there so anybody that wants to do tracks on percussion and drums I just walk to the studio
0: <laughs> That's fantastic. Well, and you know, I mean I live in central Kentucky. I mean, you're literally an hour up the road from me. Uh I'm in Georgia. Well, we got
1: to get together. Y- yeah, we That's do.
0: Fair. We, we do they we go got to a, do that on
1: a bourbon trail yeah for sure
0: um but you know it's um the house you can buy in northern Kentucky for the same amount of money would be you know seven houses as compared to what you can buy in Las Vegas so I, I think you probably figured that out pretty quickly too you can you can oh. get a really nice house for cheap here
1: oh yeah and and, and uh cheaper than Vegas but a uh, hell of a lot cheaper than California. Oh, so, yeah, yeah. You know, you're talking about, yeah, like you said, you know, the price is a big difference. You know, in Las Vegas, uh, it's unbelievable because when I bought my place in in Las Vegas, uh, in Las Vegas, you don't pay state tax and, you know, everything's a little, but, you know, still four and a half hours from L.A., so originally I did that, but it's a really incredible historical uh district in North Kentucky. And there's so much American history there. And also music history, because a lot of people know Bowtown and Stacks and Muscle shows. but King records Oh yeah, was in Cincinnati. It was the first label that James Brown signed to. And the second rhythm section of James Brown band was from Cincinnati, the Bootsy Collins and those guys. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Was from Cincinnati. There's a, a lot of jazz history in Cincinnati and then and 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 i'm talking about cincinnati but you you can either look at it as cincinnati's north of northern kentucky and and north northern kentucky south cincinnati i mean to me it's just like the area yeah you know yeah, without for sure. without the lines. you know you cross the I, wa- I walk the ohio river like it's just like a pathway you know yeah, oh so yeah. I'm uh, yeah, and- going to downtown Cincinnati, and then when I go to the movies, I cross back and we go back and forth.
0: Yeah, it's a beautiful area, and and you know, uh, you're like I said, you're an hour up the road. So after your honeymoon and and you get <laughs> get your tour over with, maybe maybe I'll come up and you can teach me some stuff. I I seriously need some lessons from you. That's, oh, let's uh,
1: do something. Yeah, I think yes,
0: that, absolutely. I, I think that would be phenomenal. So, um, well, Wally, I want to be respectful of your time. I know it's a day off. You've you've given me an hour already, and I appreciate that. But our tradition here. on on the Drum Shuffle is we ask all of our guests for a good piece of advice. Um, You've been doing this for a long time at a very high level. What advice would you offer to other drummers and other musicians?
1: Uh, Okay, you know, playing drums is just a lot of fun and is very uh, communal. You know, percussion, drums, just to play and create energy and rhythm, and fun, you know, you can actually play drums as a hobby, as therapy, as a sport, as exercise, uh, but if you want to go into the music business, that that changes. So be conscious that even though you might develop uh, playing drum set into a physical art and develop your technique to amazing chops. Um, when, when you actually cross the line and you want to be a professional musician, it's all about what we have been talking about. Like you, you said it yourself, serve the music, serve the song. And if the song just needs a little tingle on the cymbal bell and basically just like one hit on the tom-tom, then you have served the song without almost playing drums. So you give the song and the music what it needs like I always say, sometimes, even though you have a kitchen full of spices of around the world and a lot of pans <laughs> and pots and and food, when you cook two over easy eggs, sometimes it just needs a little salt. And if you put too much salt, you ruin the eggs. <laughs> That's right. So you you cannot do that in, in music situations because some, some artists are not forgiving. Mm. And so you have to know that you are there for a purpose and when i sit on the drums i say what am i what's my purpose am i gonna play jazz tonight and there's people looking just for me to like blow a lot of chops and stuff like that or am i playing a dance event so my groove's gotta be dance and if they give me a drum solo it's gonna have to be a rhythm keep the dancers on the floor or am i playing with chicago Serve the songs, make sure that the songs and the lyrics, the dynamics and everything come through so the people can get the soundtrack of their lives successfully. So it's not about my sounds and the drums and the this and that. It's just it's about the songs. So that's my advice. So when you sit on the drums, what's my purpose? Am I going to practice? Am I going to just like have some fun? Or am I going to play a groove that feels really good to this song so the song can shine and not me?
0: Yeah, man, that's some really good advice. It really is. And, you know, I think I think in this day and age in the music industry, um, you know, it's, it's harder and harder to make a living, obviously. Uh, and I, I won't bemoan that fact right now. But the goal is if you go in on a session or a gig, you would like to be invited back the next time they do that. And yes, if you, you know, as Wally put it in his analogy, if you just go in with all the cayenne pepper in the world, right, in your eggs, it's not going to be edible. They're not going to ask you back. So do what's right for the music. That's great advice, Wally. Thank you so much. Thank
1: you for having me. It's been a lot of fun. And hey, I I can talk drums for a whole day.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So can I. And, you know, that's the problem that we have is, you know, when two drummers start talking shop, as I like to call it, you know, you'll look at the clock and you'll go, oh, my God, you know, I missed sound check," or, (laughs) you know, I've got to hit the stage in two minutes. I didn't warm up. So, um, uh, Wally, it's an open invitation. Anytime you want to come back and talk drums, you're always welcome on this show. Thank you so much for taking some time to do it. And uh, we'll have all your links and everything up on our site. And we're going to send some folks your way. I know that you're still teaching. So if some folks want to take some lessons, I know they can reach out to you through your website. Um, But thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you for having me, and it's been a lot of fun and I learn a lot too, because sometimes when you repeat your what you believe, it's like, oh yeah i better I better get to it." So you have inspired <laughs> me and in my day off right here, you know there's the bed, the pillows, and a practice pad. And um, I think I'm that's that's exactly what I'm gonna do when I finish this conversation.
0: Oh, that's fantastic, man. Well play a couple paradiddles for me, Wally. I appreciate it, man.
1: <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> All
0: right, talk to you soon. Have a great day. You too. Bye bye. Bye. All right, guys and girls. That's gonna wrap up episode ninety three of the drum shuffle. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope while you are in your quarantine, uh, I'm really ruining this for evergreen content. I really am. People are going to listen to this 20 years from now and go, what the heck is this guy talking about? I, I don't know. But while you are doing your part and social distancing yourself from everybody, Uh, Make sure you listen to our back episodes. This is episode 93, so we've got 92 previous episodes that I would love for you to listen to if you're looking for something to do to pass the time. Uh, As always, we ask each and every week, Give us a star rating, a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever uh, platform you use to listen to the drum shuffle. Uh, Give us a review, a star rating, a thumbs up, whatever you can do. Hit the subscribe button on whatever platform you choose to use to listen to the drum shuffle. It helps us more than you will ever know uh share the show with a friend that helps us tremendously as well as we continue to grow tell a drummer or another musician about the drum shuffle podcast that helps as always we answer every single email that we receive here the drum shuffle podcast at gmail.com is where you can reach me i've got plenty of time on my hands so keep those emails coming uh, our web address is thedrumshuffle.com and of course you can find more information about me over at jamieeds.com. While you're there click on those social media links Facebook, Twitter, Instagram you can follow us there as well. I hope you guys are doing well out there and just remember do your part protect those around you model human decency. Nobody needs 900 rolls of toilet paper. Again, somebody listening 20 years from now is going to go, what the heck is that guy talking about? The great toilet paper scare of 2020. Guys, be safe out there. Let me know how I can help you. So until next time, may your heads stay strong and your sticks never break. Cheers, everybody.